Let's pray together and then we'll open up God's word. Lord, thank you for this time we've already had. Thank you for the the riches of worship. Thank you for communion. Thank you for testimonies as to how you're working. Thank you for your presence as we gather with your people. Thank you that you, you want your people to be a temple, the temple of the living God, and you come in and dwell us, and we have sensed that this morning. And I pray for more of that now as we open up your word. Lord, that you would touch each of our hearts, that none of us would leave without having the, the, the word of God deeply impact us so we can be encouraged, strengthened, convicted, corrected, uplifted, whatever we need. You know, and your word can do it all. And so come and work now, we pray. Help me as I preach, Lord. Give me fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit and wisdom, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, as I was thinking about the topic uh, for this morning's message, it just struck me how all through the Bible uh, we see the importance of prayer. I mean, it's hard to read very many chapters before, boom, it's right there. Like, for example, uh, the nation of Israel, okay, wandering through the wilderness, no water, thirsty, and they come upon this pool of water which is bitter, not able to be drunk. And so Moses prays. He prays. God, help. And God turns the bitter water into sweet, and they can drink it. Or nation of Israel... Uh, invading armies are coming to wipe them off the face of the map, and pe- people just wanted to totally decimate Israel, and Jehoshaphat gathers all of Israel, and he prays and says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then God brings a prophetic word to somebody there, and this person speaks this sort of prophecy from God, the people of Israel obey it, and God destroys the invading nations. Answer to prayer. Or a New Testament story. Remember, Peter was arrested and put in prison. And James had just been put in prison and had been beheaded. And now Peter's in prison. And so the church is praying, saying, God, please deliver him. The church is gathering together to pray. And God miraculously delivers Peter from prison. And you just see time and time and time again, all through the scriptures, God calls us to pray, pray, pray. But he doesn't just call us to pray. He also teaches us how to pray. And in this morning's passage, this next uh, next section in Psalm 119, he's going to teach us an aspect of prayer that I think many believers today either don't understand or don't get or for whatever reason don't practice it. And I'm praying that God will help us understand this dimension of prayer and that your prayer life will be deeply impacted by it even starting this afternoon or this week. So let's turn to Psalm 119. Verses 121 to 128. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand because we'd like to give you a copy of the Bible to use this morning. What's most important here at Mercy Hill Church in terms of the words you're going to walk away with today are the words that are in the book, not the words that are coming from me. My goal is to introduce you to these words to help explain these words. These are God's words. Okay, so you want to get these words. And so please, we want you to have a copy of God's word in front of you. Psalm 119, verses 121 through 128. And this is on page 515 in the Bibles we're passing out, just to help you you get there. Now, we've read throughout Psalm 119, and one theme that we've seen is that the author, we aren't sure who he is, probably one of the kings of Israel, maybe David, we aren't sure, but the author had a group of men 
powerful men who were seeking to kill him, who were publicly slandering him, who were causing him great heartache and pain and difficulty. And in these next verses, we're going to see the author bringing his concerns about these men to God in prayer. We're going to see him praying about God's help with this difficulty he has with these men. So look at what he says, <coughs> excuse me, in verses 121 through 128. Start with 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge for good, a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Okay, now to dig into these eight verses, I'm going to start with this question. What's he asking God to do? What does the psalmist ask God to do? And as I read these eight verses, I saw two main requests that he brings before God. First, he asks God to deliver him from these wicked men. Okay, look at verse 121. I've done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. There's another way of saying deliver me. Give your servant a pledge for good. That is, by delivering me from these men. Let not the insolent oppress me. So don't leave me to them. Don't let them oppress me. Deliver me from them. They're seeking to take my life. They're publicly slandering me. They're causing me heartache and pressure and pain. Deliver me, Father. So that's the first prayer request in these eight verses. And then there's a second one. He also asks God to teach him his word. Verses 124, 125. He says, deal with your servants according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Now you might think, well, why can't he just read? I mean, the words are right there. I mean, what does it mean that God's going to teach him? God's going to give him understanding. What that means is he's asking God to help him so see the truth of God's word and so feel the truth of God's word that his faith is strengthened in the meantime as he's dealing with these oppressive men. You've had times like that, haven't you, where you've opened up God's word and you, your heart has been distraught and weak and tempted and struggling and despairing and hopeless and you open up God's word and you're praying God, teach me your word. Show me who you are. Open my eyes. And he does. And you see the truth of who he is. And you feel the truth of who he is. And your faith rises. That's what he's asking God to do. So two requests in these eight verses. Deliver me from these oppressive men. And in the meantime, strengthen my faith through your word. Strengthen me. So he's got two requests in these eight verses. But that's not all that he prays in these eight verses. There's something else in addition to bringing his requests before God that he brings before God. He brings requests to God 
deliver me from these oppressive men. Teach me. Strengthen my faith through your word. But in addition to requests, he brings something else as well. So what else does he do besides bring his requests before God? And as I read these verses, what I saw him doing is he's bringing requests, but he also brings reasons to give to God for why his requests should be answered. Two parts of his prayer in these verses, requests and reasons for why God should answer those requests. Now let me show you why I say that. Look at verse 121. The second half of 121 is a request, but the first half is something else. Notice, 121, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. What's the point of saying I've done what is just and right? What what role does that play in this verse? It's a reason. He's saying because I've done what is just and right, do not leave me to my oppressors. It's a reason. Do you see that? So the second half is the request. First half is the reason for why God should answer the request. Now, some of you are looking puzzled. Good. Because you're thinking, how does that reason work? And there's two very different ways you could understand this. Do not think that what he's saying is, I've done what is just and what is right, so therefore I deserve this answer to my prayer. I've earned favor from you by the good things that I've done. I've been good enough, God, so now you owe me something. That is not what he's saying. So please don't think that. You could think that just from reading this except for verse 124. Deal with your servant according to your what? Steadfast love? Is that what your version says? Are you all there? 124? Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word hesed, the word mercy, the word grace. Okay, so he understands nothing of who I am obligates God in any way to give me favor. Who I am in myself only brings God's judgment. I need God to deal with me according to his steadfast love, his grace, his mercy. See, the Bible is clear that the only way you and me can receive anything good from God is not by trying to be good enough. We've sinned against God. We deserve God's judgment forever. That's all we in ourselves deserve. See, the the only way we can receive anything good from God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus lived the perfectly sinless life we should have lived, And Jesus was punished with the punishment that we deserve because of our sins. And so the moment that an Old Testament believer put his faith in in God's mercy, he didn't, didn't see Jesus crystal clearly like we do now, but the moment an Old Testament believer puts his faith in God's mercy, that faith connects him to what Jesus would do in the future. So Abraham, the author here, clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, cleansed, forgiven for all of his sins, and God can lavish his favor upon him. And a New Testament believer, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're you're connected to all that Jesus did. You're connected to his perfectly sinless life. You're clothed with his perfect righteousness. All your sins are punished in his death on the cross, so you're forgiven for all of your sins. And so Old Testament, New Testament, saved by faith alone. Faith alone is how we're saved. Okay, so then what's he saying here? (laughs) In verse 121. 
He doesn't say, I'm trusting you. Answer my prayer. He says, I've done what is just and right. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, my being just and right, it's not not been perfect by any means, but Lord, the way I've been living displays, shows that my faith in you is genuine. My faith is real. It's not perfect. It doesn't earn anything good from you. But the fact that I've, I've walked in holiness, I've walked in godliness, shows, Lord, that I'm, I've, I've got genuine trust in you. It shows that I've got the trust that connects me to your mercy, which is why now you can show me the mercy of answering my prayer. See the difference? It's not that my goodness obligates you to give me good things. It's that my goodness, it's all by your grace alone. It's only through faith alone. But my goodness, which is a gift from you, shows that I'm genuinely trusting you, so I'm connected to your mercy, so you can pour out the mercy of answering my prayer. Now, if you have questions about that, we'll have time for questions at the end, and we can dig into that more. But again, notice verse 124. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love, your grace, your mercy. That shows that verse 121 can't mean that he's saying, I've been good enough. So now you owe me. That's not steadfast love. Are we clear there? Okay. The only reason we can receive anything good from God is because we are trusting him. It's by faith alone. And so what he's saying is, the way I've been living, Father, it, it helps me see, and I hope it shows you, my faith has been genuine. It hasn't been perfect, hasn't been sinless, doesn't earn anything from you, but I've got the faith that you have decreed would connect me to your Holy Son, Jesus, so I'm clothed with his righteousness, forgiven of my sins, and now you can pour out an answer to prayer for me. Okay. Now, let's keep going. Look at the reasons he gives. Check out verse 123. We see him giving God a reason for why God should teach him his word and strengthen his faith. 123, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Therefore, that's that's the logical connection between these two verses. Therefore, because my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise, therefore deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. So this is a different reason. He's saying, God, I long for you. I long for your work of strengthening my faith. I want more of you. Look at me. I'm needy. I'm humble. I'm desperate, Lord. I have nowhere to go but you. Therefore, teach me your word. Okay? Another reason is in verse 125. I am your servant. There's the reason. Therefore, give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Okay, now again, you you could think he's saying, I'm your servant. I'm better than everybody else. I've served you more than anybody else. If anybody deserves an answer to prayer, it's you, it's me now, so give it to me. Not what he's saying, okay? Remember steadfast love we saw earlier in verse 124. What he's saying is, Lord, by your grace, you've saved me, you've changed my heart, so I I long to be your servant. I have sought to serve you. I've not been sinless, but I've I've got a pattern of serving you, and, and that shows that I have the faith that connects me to your mercy. So now you can give me mercy and answer my prayer. Right? Not works, not earning, but grace and mercy. Okay? More reasons are given in verse 126 to 128. He says, it's time for the Lord to act. That's another way of giving a request. Lord, act now, please. And then here's the reason. For your law has been broken. This is a different kind of reason. What he's saying here is, Father... You are holy. 
You are exalted above everything. You are majestic and righteous and pure. And your holy and good law is being profaned by people disobeying you. People are profaning your holy law. Father, don't let that continue. Glorify your name. Put a stop to this. I love your glory. You love your glory. Put a stop to this profaning of your law that's going on. So you see that reason? Father, for the glory of your name, come and do this is really what's behind that one. Okay, then 127 and 128 were a little bit more difficult for me to figure out. So let me just try this out and see if you think this works. He says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. So here's what I think is going on. I think that that is connected with him saying at the end of verse 26 that your law has been broken. I think what he's saying is, I'm living in a culture where people are breaking your law. Your name is being profaned. People are scoffing at you and mocking you. And yet, Father, in the midst of this culture, I love your law. I hate every false way. So therefore, my faithfulness in the midst of this godless culture, I hope displays that I'm sincere and I'm trusting you, which means I'm connected to your mercy, which is why you can answer my prayer. Does that work? Okay, well, it's the best I could I could come up with, all right, that, that, that seemed to make sense to me. But again, here's the main point from these eight verses I want you to see. He brings God requests, and he also gives God reasons for why God should answer those requests. Not just requests, but requests and reasons. But now, is this really how we are all supposed to pray? I mean, maybe this is just how the author of Psalm 119 prays. This is just kind of an interesting quirk that he had in praying. So is this how we're all supposed to pray? And my answer is yes. Let me give you two reasons. One reason is because the book of Psalms was given to Israel by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led this psalmist to write all these verses here because he wanted Israel to use the book of Psalms as their prayer book and their worship book. So all of God's people would be praying these verses and translating them into their own situations and their own circumstances. So they would be praying along with this. The book of Psalms is for all of Israel, all of God's people. And so all of God's people would be praying these verses. They would all be having modeled before them, bring requests and bring reasons. Okay? Another reason, by the way, is when you start reading through prayers as they're described in the Bible, you will see requests and reasons, requests and reasons all over the place. But let me give you something I'd never really noticed before. Second reason why I think this is for everybody, it's what it's what Jesus, how Jesus teaches us to pray in Luke 11, verses 2 through 4. Go ahead and turn there. That's page 869 in the Bibles we passed out. So this is the the version of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus spoke according to Luke, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. And notice how he's teaching us to pray here with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we can pray through word for word meaningfully. It's also a model for how we pray in a more general way. But look at what he says. Verse 2, Luke 11, verse 2. He said to them, this is Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, when you pray, say... So now here's teaching him how to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. That's a request, right? Your kingdom come. What's that? That's a request, 
right? Give us each day our daily bread. That's a request. And forgive us our sins. That's a request. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Is that a request? What is that? It's a reason. Okay? Keep going. And lead us not into temptation. That's back to a request again. So notice the Lord's Prayer. Requests, and then a request with a reason. This is how he wants us to pray. Okay, now, again, we could terribly misunderstand that reason, though. Right? It's not that because we have forgiven everybody else, that therefore God now owes us forgiveness for our sins. That's not how it works. The fact that, for Jesus' sake, you have forgiven the people around you shows that you're trusting Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit changes your heart, humbles you, and satisfies you in Christ so that you are, you're humbled so you can let the revenge thing go and you're satisfied in Christ so that whatever pain that person has caused you is assuaged, it's ameliorated, it's eclipsed, whatever word you want to use, it's covered. And so when you put your trust in Christ, you're humbled and you're filled. And humble, full hearts forgive. Okay? But again, it's, from, it's by faith. Forgiveness shows faith in Christ. And so when we pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. We're not saying, forgive us our sins because we've been so good in our forgiveness that you owe us. We're saying, forgive us our sins because, Lord, I've forgiven everybody, which shows that I'm trusting you and your grace is changing me. And so I've got that trust that's connecting me with your mercy, which is what I'm asking for right now. Forgive me by your mercy. See that? Hey, now, what if you haven't forgiven everybody? Gulp. Yes, gulp. And I hope you feel the weightiness of this. God is gracious. He's merciful. He forgives sins. He will help us. But if you are holding on to a grudge and refusing to forgive someone, that should raise serious questions as to whether you're trusting Jesus or not. It's not possible to be sincerely trusting Jesus Christ and willfully, knowingly disobey him by clinging to a a grudge and not forgiving other people. So what should you do? Just fall on your face before him. Say, help me. I know you tell me to forgive. I'm not sure I can forgive this person. That's just reality, right? When you're not forgiving, it's because you're not sure you can. You're not sure you want to. But if you can change my wants, if you can enable me, I will. So you fall on your face before Jesus and say, help me. And he will come. Right? Even while your heart is still bearing that grudge, if you, if you are asking him for help sincerely, he will come and he will help you. He will change your heart. He will humble you. He will fill you. He will so pour his love into your heart that you'll be able to forgive that person. And then you'll be able to pray this prayer. Okay, yes. I'm trusting you. I can see. Look what you've done. Thank you. What mercy. So forgive all my sins forever because I'm, I'm, I'm displaying because of your grace that I've got the faith that helps me to forgive other people. See how that works? Really important here. Okay, now, with that in mind, back to Psalm 119. Verses 121 through 128. The psalmist brings requests and reasons. Okay? And my guess is most of us don't do this. 
I, I would guess that we're probably all comfortable with bringing requests before God. Okay? Save my neighbor, Father. Strengthen my faith. Pour out your spirit upon me, I pray. Lord, pour out your spirit upon my brothers and sisters in my home group. So we're comfortable with bringing requests before God. But I would guess many of us do not do much giving God reasons for why he should answer those requests. I mean, how often do we pray, save my neighbor, because this will glorify your name. This will magnify Jesus Christ. That's my joy. That's your passion. Father, for the glory of Jesus, save my neighbor. Big reasons. Do you pray that way? Or pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. I'm longing for you. I'm desperate. I'm, I'm empty. It's been a long time since I've sensed your touch. And I'm not going anywhere else. I'm here. I'm not going to go away until you meet me. I, just, I think the Father just smiles when his children pray that way. That's a reason though, see? Or, Lord, strengthen the faith of my brothers and sisters in the home group because this will unite us together and you promised that when we're in unity and showing that love to lost people, they will see that you really came to earth. So, Father, for the glory of Jesus and for their salvation, strengthen our home group brothers and sisters. Requests and reasons. Requests and reasons. That might feel awkward to start praying that way. But that's how Jesus taught us to pray. That's how the psalmist is teaching us to pray. That's how God calls us all to pray. And so that's the main thing I want to encourage you to do. That's the main takeaway from this passage is I'm praying that you'll be persuaded this morning to start as awkward as it feels at first and making sure you understand it's not that, God, you owe me. I've been really good today. No, 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 no. That's deadly. It's deadly to believe that. Dishonors God. Guts the cross. Destroys the gospel. You must not believe that. But there's a whole other way to believe these reasons. Right? By your grace, you've saved me. I'm seeing tangible evidence in your life that shows that I'm trusting you, so I'm connected to your mercy through Christ. And so, answers to prayer are all about mercy. And I'm connected to your mercy, so show me mercy by answering. Whole other way. Are we clear on this point? Oh, man, if anybody leaves here thinking, oh, wow, you know, we've got to be good enough so God will answer our prayers. And, and if we're really good, then he'll really answer our prayers. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, now, so I thought, okay, how can I end this to help persuade people to do this? And um, I thought it might be helpful to mention three benefits that come from doing this. That's when I was talking to Jan about the sermon yesterday, and she said, you know, this, this, when you do that, it does this, and it does this, and I'm thinking, that's, that's my sermon. That's the end of my sermon. So, let me share. One benefit that comes is that it strengthens our faith when we pray. Now, let me illustrate it like this. Let's say that you are in desperate need for wisdom for a decision. Desperate need. And I want you to compare two, two prayers. Let's say that here's reason, and here's requests only, and this is going to be Requests plus reasons, okay? So here's, here's, here's requests only. Father, come to you in Jesus' name. Give me wisdom for this decision. Give me guidance. I ask that you would show me what I should do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's, that, that's powerful prayer, right? That's really powerful. I mean, it's in Jesus' name. It's heartfelt. That's powerful stuff, okay? But wait. hope I can do this good. Okay, so Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I need wisdom for this decision. 
Give me wisdom, Father. You promised in James 1.5 that whenever we lack wisdom, if we will ask you, you will give to us generously and without reproach. You've promised, Father. And so because you've promised, and I'm here, I don't deserve this, but because of Christ, I'm forgiven and connected to his grace, so this promise should be true for me. You've promised, Father, please, because of your promise. And Lord, if you would give me wisdom, I'd be able to serve you more effectively. I want to serve you. I want to glorify you. I don't want to make mistakes here. I want you to be honored. So to help me honor you, give me the wisdom I need. And this will glorify your name as you give me wisdom. You'll be seen as a, a abundantly merciful God, as a prayer-hearing God, as a, as a guidance-giving God. Lord, it'll glorify your name. So do you see how that strengthens your faith as you pray? Because as you're listing the reasons, your faith will rise that this is what God wants to me to pray. This is what God promises to do. God's going to do this. Are you, are you getting this? Okay, so that's powerful benefit. When you list reasons, it strengthens your faith. Second reason is that when you, when you give God reasons, it stirs God's heart. Now, there's some mystery here. But it's clear from the scriptures that in God's sovereign mercy, he has chosen to have your prayers through Christ, people that are born again through faith in Christ, he's chosen to have your prayers stir his heart. That is an amazing thing. Little me, little you, Father, I need wisdom coming to you in Jesus' name. And the heart of the God of the universe is, ooh, he's chosen to have his heart be stirred by your prayers. But I sinned this morning. I did too. So we say, I'm coming in Jesus' name. And he smiles. We're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. We're forgiven by his shed blood. We're coming to him relying on mercy alone, not any kind of self-righteousness. And the heart of the God of the universe gets stirred. Now, when you give God reasons, that he's, he's chosen to have that stir his heart with those reasons. And it's not that he's got to be talked into doing things. That's why he's told us in his word when you pray, bring me reasons. I've chosen to have those reasons stir my heart to answer prayer. And so when you bring God reasons, God's heart will be stirred. He's chosen in his sovereign grace to have things operate that way. That's the second reason. Third reason. Um, when we give God, or third benefit, when we give God reasons, this purifies our hearts. Just this dawned on me this last week as I was praying for something. Let me give you this illustration. Let's say that you're praying that your son will make it into the varsity basketball team and not JVs. Okay, you're really, you're really praying that, that he'll make it into varsity. And you've got some good reasons for wanting him to be in, in varsity. He'd get great coaching. It would really you know, cause his skills to flourish. It would be so encouraging for him. He's at kind of a vulnerable point now. And this would be so encouraging if he could make it under the varsity team. And this would bring up some great ministry opportunities because you know some of the dads of other guys who are on, on, going to be on the varsity team, and this would give you connections with them with team parties and stuff, okay? So you've got some really good reasons for why you think it would be right and good and glorifying to God to have your son be on the varsity team. But you also have, have a reason that's not so good because it make you look really good. You know, if, if your son's varsity is like, <laughs> chip off the old block, you know. I was an athlete in my time, in the day, maybe anyway, so, right? So, 
This is just the reality of how it works. You got some good reasons, you got some not so good reasons. Right? Anybody else like me in that one? Okay. Okay, now, if you just pray the request, Father, have my son make it onto the varsity basketball team. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that's good. But that jumble of some good and some not so good reasons doesn't get touched. But if instead you bring the request and you say, now, okay, why do I want to ask God to do this? And you think, well, it would be so good for my son. It would be so encouraging for him, Father. That's one reason. And then, Father, oh, yeah, part of my heart is I think it would glorify your name to open up these ministry options. And that's a good reason. So, Father, please, for that reason. And then, and then Father, I, I think because it would really give him great coaching. He, his skills could flourish. And what other reasons are in there? So because, oh, part of, oh, there's this not-so-good reason in there, too. Ah, oh, I'm sorry. That's not a good reason to want this. Father, forgive me for that reason. I don't want that to be a reason. Let's focus on these other ones that are, are right and true and good. Has anybody else ever prayed that way? I pray that way often. And the Lord uses thinking about the reasons that are in your heart to show you the reasons that are good that should be encouraged and the reasons that aren't so good that should be repented of and laid aside. And so a third benefit is your heart will be purified from impure motives and reasons when you bring your reasons before God. That's how it works. Okay, so what questions now are raised by these eight verses in Psalm 119? Requests and reasons. The scripture that I, that, that I had in my mind was just that he, he tells us to pray that way. Lord's Prayer. That's what, so here, Jesus is teaching us when we ask for forgiveness to give God a reason. And I said, well, that, that must mean that God wants us to pray this way. And it must mean that it stirs his heart. Yeah, so exa- many examples of re- prayers with reasons moving God's heart. Now, if anybody else can find a, a, a verse that states that as a principle, let me know. That'd be really helpful. Okay, but we've got examples, as Chris mentioned, really helpful. And I think in his mercy, he's given us the uh, the honor of, 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 uh, of causality in terms of prayer. It doesn't earn anything, but this is how he set things up. Our prayer, he's chosen to have our prayers make a difference in what happens. He's chosen to do to have things operate that way. And so, yeah, that relationship, beautiful. More questions. Is there, everybody clear on, on the fact that it's not, we don't say, you know, I've done just and right, therefore you owe me. Are we all clear on that one? So we, so we sometimes feel more comfortable, especially if we have a big view of God's sovereignty, which is good to have. But we can think we should just pray, Lord, do your will. And yet, I, years ago, I did a study where I just went through the whole Bible and listed all the different prayers and what they prayed for. And people ask God for specific things. We need water. Heal this person. Give me wisdom. Save the lost. Deliver me from the oppressors. Specific, specific, specific prayers. And so we need to, if that's awkward for you, uncomfortable, you need to grow to understand that God wants you to bring specific requests to him, and then he wants you to give him reasons. And so what's the problem? Sweet-talking smacks of what? If you, It's like uh, you feel like maybe you're manipulating him, okay, which we're not doing, right? But, but we're simply appealing to his glory, um, his love for us, the things, the promises he's given in his word, and so we're simply pointing him. He's urged us 
to point him to the things he's already looking at, but in the relationship of doing this, that will stir his heart to act. So no sweet talking, because that's not that, that's that's below God. Okay. It it it, it enriches the relationship. It, I mean, it, it enables you to really wrestle with God in prayer. And it's just, it's life-giving. It's so powerful. And so let me just encourage all of us to do this. So junior hires, you're in here with us this morning. Junior hires, you are not too young to do this, okay? You can bring God requests and bring God reasons. And he smiles when you do, okay? 90-year-old people, you're not too old to do this, all right? Requests and reasons and everybody in between. So as you read the Bible, just notice, you'll start seeing this again and again. People give reasons or requests and then they give reasons, and the benefits that come from doing that are that your heart's going to be purified, God's heart's going to be stirred, and your faith will be growing. And I think you will find this powerfully strengthening and impacting your prayer life. So let's, let's do it. Let's, I want us to stand. I want to pray this over us. And let's watch what God does in our hearts and through our prayers this week as we pursue this. Lord, I know many here pray this way all the time and and have years of praying this way. And I I ask that this week you would bring an even greater freshness and even greater understanding and even deeper meaning and and, uh, power as they pray in that way that they've done for years. And I pray, Lord, for those who have not prayed that way and for whom this might feel awkward. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them and that you'd meet them And that they would find sweet relationship with you as they bring their requests and and then as they plead reasons, biblical, God-glorifying reasons. And I pray that you would meet them as they do that, that their faith would rise, that they would experience your presence even more closely, that their hearts would be purified from wrong reasons, and Lord, that your heart would be moved as they do that. So I pray, Lord, for all of us that we this week would grow in prayer deepen us in prayer. And I just feel like the Lord also, that there's, there's maybe one or two people here just, where prayer has really fallen off the radar screen for you. And I just feel impressed to the Lord that he's, he's talking to you right now. Start praying. Come back. Come back. Start praying. So Lord, help, help that person to do that, I pray, this week and really meet you afresh through Jesus Christ. And thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.